Thanks to the worship team for that. We're continuing our conversation today on this whole idea of being in the middle. We're past uh, the peak of a crisis stage through COVID. We're dealing with isolation. We're in that middle sort of rhythm where we don't know quite where we're going. We know where we've come from. And you'll note in society, through the news, through your own experience, that now we're in something of a long tail out. It's like, okay, we know we're coming out of this situation now. I'm not sure when, particularly how, but we want to get a glimpse. We're keen for next steps. And I'd like to reflect on our own journey as a, a new church and as you as an individual Christian as to, well, where are we going to go with an issue particularly like the one I want to focus on today, which is mission and in particular uh, international mission. We'll talk into all sorts of mission, but today particularly we're going to focus on what we're doing overseas. And the sense that we're in the middle, we're in the middle in a space with mission as well. And the, this middleness that we're in is somewhere between uh, Christendom and kingdom. And quite often you've heard me say a, a pretty broad term such as Christendom is dead. Uh, what, what I'm saying there is that there's a phase of Christian church life that we've transitioned out of and yet we're not quite sure what we're transitioning into. But we're transitioning ultimately into a full expression of the kingdom when Jesus comes again. But like our micro situation with our isolation and dealing with COVID, our, mac our macro situation is stuck in between as well. We need to know how to get out of this space. So let me talk into that just for a moment because it's worth examining the context and the detail of that. So we're coming out of this thing called Christendom. And Christendom was really a dictate of Western culture where we identified if this is a Western culture, this is a Christian culture. It was taken for granted and the line between church and state, even though it was always implied, there was a lot of correlation going on there. And the social contract, if I can use that term, some will know more about what that means than others. Uh, and a social contract is the agreement among the society about how we do society. The social contract was in essence, well, we take for granted things like the Ten Commandments, morality, right, wrong, heaven, hell, all those sorts of things. They're now gone. Uh, the social contract now is not based on the morality of the Bible. Um, but the situation we've come out of in Christendom was framed in terms like uh, in the US, in their constitutions, for example, in God we trust. In the UK, you'd have the monarch and they were the defender of the faith. There was a close line between religion and the assumptions around that and the way the government and the social contract operated. Now, what that brought about was normalising Christianity, made it mainstream. Um, but by doing that, we actually denormalized missionary calling. We made it something unique. We made it something sort of fringy. And the way we went about missionary tasks in this Christendom mindset was that where there was imperial expansion, we saw uh, in the wake of that gospel expansion. And so you saw the missionaries closely follow on the tail of the explorers as they went in and uh, discovered new lands. Soon the missionaries would go in and as they would settle, they would sort of impose Christian faith, uh, which was really just Christian culture in many ways, on top of an existing culture. So the downside of that was that the religion was imposed uh, on the conquered. It was very empire-based, empirical in that, in that way, not ideal, and uh, didn't have a lot to do with a person's personal experience of faith. It was an imposition upon their life. 
The upside of that was that we, we did have incredible examples of missionary life by people like uh, David Livingston in Africa, Hudson Taylor in China. Where, and these, these guys literally gave up their life to embed themselves in other cultures and inspired generations for 100 years or so about getting into missionary and, and really going in harm's way to do that. So that season has gone really since uh, we transitioned out of there about the 50s and, and the early 60s. In our more immediate landscape, we can look at what was happening yesterday in the last few years and what we're experiencing now. In our yesterday, mission was really seen without so many words as being for the radical fringe. It was, it was almost for that person that quite often didn't seem to quite fit in the West. They seemed to gravitate onto mission because they seemed to fit more easily into other cultures. But the reality is that right now, uh, and in the near future, what we're going into now, is that churches aren't a parish anymore. We've gone from this situation where it was expected that on every second corner there was a church and people from around gathered on a Sunday and that was their meeting place. Those days are essentially over. Now we're much more of a mission outpost. We are uh, Christians in a non-Christian secular land. We're in a post-Christian society with pre-Christian understanding. Very dangerous place for faith in the sense that people think, well, I've been there and I've done that but they don't realise they have very little clue what they're talking about. They don't understand the precepts of Christian faith and why Jesus came. And so we're getting closer now to being in the situation where the New Testament church was at for the first 300 years, where they, they saw themselves in the little house churches throughout cities as little missionary outposts where they would pray together and they, they sensed this obligation to go, to spread. The mandate of Jesus was very close on them. And so our current reality that we're, tending, we're going into now is embracing this sort of pre-kingdom mindset. The kingdom will come fully when Jesus returns. So we're in this pre-kingdom mindset, the pre-kingdom reality where uh, it's, it, as it says in 1 John 3, 2, uh, he describes it really well. He says, now we are the children of God. It's, it's right now, but what we will be has not yet been made known. It's this nowness and not yet as well. We're there, but we're not there. So we're experiencing a sample we have a deposit of the Spirit, for example, but the fullness still comes sometime in the future. And so we're sent in this middle space to experience not ourselves and then to propagate an example and a demonstration of the kingdom. So Paul, the first missionary, he went on to live this lifestyle very clearly and he articulated it very well in the way he did that in Romans 15, 18 to 19. And he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. And he's talking there about, he's seen radical transformation. He's seen change in lives. But how, he goes on to say, by what I have said and done. So there's talk, there's an apologetic, there's things that he's done, talking about uh, morality and social justice, these sorts of, sorts of things. And then by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. So by fully proclaimed, Paul is encapsulating these three ideas of words, deeds and signs. It's a multifaceted sign of the kingdom. And it's true and, and all good theologians will say we are here, we are representatives, we are a sign of the kingdom. Our life is a sign. And my argument to uh, add to that would really be, yeah, we are absolutely a sign of the kingdom. 
but we're a neon sign, we're a powered sign. We're not just uh, on a corner, on a post, getting dirty and have bullet holes in us. No, we're, we're illuminated, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to be fully that sign. And that assumption brings with it the other assumption that we're on the front foot here, that we are empowered by the Spirit who's been sent by Jesus to be sent as well. And so we're on the front foot, we're taking ground. It's that Matthew 11 term that Jesus used where the kingdom is advancing and forceful people take it by force. See, the unfortunate reality for some of us, uh, those introverted amongst us who just love to stay in our corner at home and stay working from home indefinitely, is that we're actually all missionaries. We're all missionaries. We've all been sent. And that has all sorts of implications. And I completely understand that that can be a real shock to some of us. But Christian outreach is more than just living a life that's admirable. Uh, there's an intention about it. There's a sense where we're going from here, our safe place, into a place that's nothing like the kingdom and the safety that we love. So before he was taken up to heaven, Jesus clarified this, obviously, in Matthew 28, incredibly clearly. Let's look at it. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always. So all that I've commanded, that includes what Paul said, what he's said, what he's done, and the signs and wonders demonstrated by power. But remember, the, the command was in the context of the promise. I'll be with you always. Your, my spirit will go with you. He fills our heart to fuel that mission. And so you can't help but overflow into missional activity. And when I put the mirror up to myself on this, I really have to say, if I'm not compelled to be on mission, if I'm not compelled to share what God's done for me, am I truly filled as I need to be with his spirit? Because it should be overflowing. The New Testament is incredibly consistent with that. And there are just some aspects of the Christian life that have to be experienced. There are, you, you can only learn some things by doing them. You can't have the app for it. You can't just read the Bible about it. You can't just have another group talking about being on mission. They're just things that you have to do. And there are things that happen in the context of experience and being stretched in that way. And by avoiding it, somehow we lose this uh, excitement, this uh, stretching, this growing, this joy of seeing God work through us. People like us, just normal people. So what do we actually mean by mission? I just thought maybe we should clarify that. Well, what we don't mean is that we're waiting for an opportunity in our workplace uh, to have a chat. Often we'll say, well, this is my mission field is, is work. Absolutely, it is. And those chats are valuable. They're great. It's just not what we're talking about here about mission because those conversations can be occasional some can have years in between so what we do mean is to be intentionally reaching into the world to demonstrate God's kingdom there's an intentionality we're making a step we're saying no I'm choosing I'm, I'm setting aside a margin of my time uh, my finance my heart and I'm investing it directly into this work there's a reaching aspect where I'm going beyond the safe walls of my you know, comfortable little church and my padded seats and I'm going out into a place that's not like that. I'm trying to engage with people who don't understand what I understand. There's a reaching out and there's a demonstrating aspect where we're being practical, personal, uh, what we've said, what we've done and the signs and wonders. So this is how we define mission, intentionally reaching into the world to demonstrate God's kingdom. And I acknowledge this will be a journey for us and we could have almost illustrate a spectrum here between 
mission that's done occasionally, which is normally our default response. I, I respond to conversations, for example, when they come. And those who are vocational about it, it's what they do, it's their calling, it's their income even. It's the, the thing that they do with all of their life. Um, so somewhere between the occasional and the vocational is the rest of us. And let's call them the intentional. It's those who just make the step. We grab hold of mission in a viable, in a personal way that our life can accommodate, the life that God's given us. And so it should be within reach. So it doesn't always mean we have to get on a plane or sell our house necessarily. We might do that. But the key would be we do what God asks us to do. We follow what he's saying. We do what he's doing. If he asks you to do all that, then you go for it. If he doesn't, don't feel compelled to do that. But we should just know what it means to be involved personally. We should get some personal uh, buy-in. We should know a name or two and know the people, know their situation. So in different seasons for you, it might be getting on a plane, but it might be writing a letter. It might be sponsoring a child uh, to get health and opportunity. It might be advocating for a cause like uh, sex trafficking or helping those who are in prison and so on. It might be using your IT skills to further a project, investing what you can do with the time that you have spare. It might be being part of an alpha team or helping us broadcast our Sunday messages to a sceptical world. It could be starting a DNA a small group, a discovery Bible study group where uh, those who are seeking, those who are curious about faith can come and join and then be sent out as missionaries themselves. It could be fundraising for a project through your fitness or your community groups and so on. And so the scope of mission at Kenmore Church uh, is going to be defined. We're talking there about that which is local, that which is national and that which is international. Those three areas. And we're going to fill those areas uh, as God leads us as we continue to pray into that. But these three frontiers, you can see Jesus talk about them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The last thing he was talking about. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So if you look at the terms Jesus used there, like Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, you see those three segments. Jerusalem was their hometown. It's their local community. We want you to engage this gospel around the people that you know, the streets that you know. Judea and Samaria was the broader region of the nation uh, and surrounding nations of Israel. And then obviously the ends of the earth was everywhere else beyond the realms that you understand. And so the temptation can be to neglect one area because there's obvious need in the other. But we don't need to do that. We can respond to what God's doing and what he's saying and the benefits for the people that need to be reached as well as the benefits for us. And it doesn't need to be selfish to um, acknowledge that. It's a discipleship experience for us to go into other cultures, to grow and, and just enjoy being a blessing to other people and then be blessed by what they teach us. So today's focus is really on the international side. We've talked about local before and national is something happening behind the scenes that we're looking at as well. But we have a responsibility to contribute to, contribute to our international neighbours. Luke 12 verse 48 has been rattling in my mind now for quite a, a number of years. As you look at our first world situation, Jesus says, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. From the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. That's really sobering. There's not a lot of escape there. We get so used to our comfort that it becomes an assumption. And yet the responsibility that we have to share that around for those who have nothing uh, weighs on us. And we need to be reminded, we need to have appropriate challenge around that. 
We have people in our church, fantastic people, who've been spearheading this sort of work for many years. And so we have work going on through the Hales, Jeff and Karen in India. We have Lani Van Dolsen in Thailand with Hope Behind Bars. We have other work that's been involved in China through International China Concern. And now we're beginning the conversation about a real spearhead which will become in God's will hopefully a beachfront, a real a beachhead for us, if I can put it that way, where we can continue to go back. We can, as a church, become involved. And um, this idea of joining us with compassion has been one that's been bubbling in my mind for a long time. And so we've been in talks for quite a while now with compassion and the fourth musketeer group with the men's physical challenge to combine a way to integrate a work. And we've come up, we believe, with the right place uh, that we can focus and we can adopt a region together as a church over a long term, uh, and I am talking a long term, where we can see kids grow up, we can sponsor them, we can see their villages blessed, we can see them grow up and see their village transformed, and then they go on to sponsor other kids in that village. And that area is an area called Salatiga in central Java. It's about the middle of the island there. It's a few hundred kilometres east of Jakarta. And there's all sorts of opportunities there that are opening up, not only through Compassion, but through Churches of Christ. And if you remember our friend Malcolm Weber through his Leader Source Network. And so there's all sorts of uh, opportunities for us to really embed ourselves there and do a great work over many, many years. So now we're just going to go and have a chat about that with someone from Compassion. Okay, well, I'm joined here now by Simon Ward, who's uh, not only a friend, but he's also a key representative of Compassion in Queensland. And uh, when I first met Simon, we were co-pastors, well, not co-pastors, he was a pastor of Arana Hills Church, and I was a pastor at another church. And, uh, and so I saw Simon go through the whole journey of looking into mission and how to approach that as a church. And he's now transitioned out of that church space into the Compassion space. So I wanted to ask him a few questions, pastor to pastor, and have him reflect with us that whole journey and how compassion can really work well for the local church context. So Simon, why is compassion a good option for a church to investigate as mission? My answer in two words for that would be it works. But to unpack that a bit further, uh, compassion and mission statement is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And so what I liked about compassion is that the fact that it's all about Jesus and unashamedly so but it's all about the local church as well. So all that Compassion does is through the local church. So if you go on the field and you visit Compassion's work, you won't find a big sign saying Compassion, you'll find um, a sign saying local church. And it's the local church that are reaching out to the, the children in poverty around them. And um, when you have a, a link with them, you're empowering the local church to do what they do um, and can do best. So they become a hub in the community. So. I just found it worked, and that's what shifted me from being a pastor to seeing a local church at work on the field and saying, I need to do more to help this and facilitate this. And so we're talking about a region called Salatiga in central Java. It's a, it's a region of about 150, 180,000 people with villages scattered all around. What for you was the real benefit of the sort of strategy we're adopting of um, adopting villages, adopting works in that region, rather than just picking randomly children all around the world um, is what we're going to do really going to make a difference? The benefit of a partnership as opposed to just sponsoring a child from one of the 25 countries we're in is really in that as a local church community you're all about the same thing. So when you're writing to your sponsor child and they're writing back and then you'll meet up with a friend for coffee and you're talking about the child you sponsor you're all singing off the same sheet as it were. You've got a shared experience where the children are in a similar locality 
they've got similar issues they're facing, the culture is pretty much the same. So you're, in, you're really in this together. And Compassion started in South Korea, and, and what I love is now South Korea is now a sponsoring nation. So it started off as a country in poverty, and now it's one that sponsors. And we're close to our second country being in that position as well. So um, I just like the fact that when you concentrate your efforts in one area, there's a benefit to what you see happen in that locality, and also there's a benefit back to the local church here, which I'll talk a bit more, more about in a, in a few moments. So we're, we're very interested in the fact that Java is essentially very close. It's, it's closer than Bali. Uh, can you tell us more about the people and what they're going through? We're, we're experiencing COVID globally. Uh, what are they experiencing and what will they experience in the long term? When you look at a, a country in poverty, and particularly if I think about the medical situation, because we're all in this together at the moment and, and realising some of the impact of that. But if you think of a, about a country like Indonesia, a lot of the people that, that you, may be sponsor, you may sponsor today a lot of them will cook over an open fire. So that, that means that there are a lot of respiratory issues just through smoke inhalation. We see this a lot through um, the, the field countries we work in. And if you think about the medical side of things, for example, when I've visited many children uh, who are being sponsored, I've met with their families, I've sat with them in their, in their home, and I, I'll often finish the conversation with, what can we pray for you for? Nine times out of ten, one of the things they will say is, pray for good health. And that's not just because it's a nice thing to ask, it's because health is so important when you're in poverty. So for example, if a, um, if a father can't work or a mother can't work, that means they can't provide food for that day because it's very much hand to mouth. So when you look at those sort of situations, if you put um, the fact that they can maybe go to hospital or the doctors for free, but who's going to pay for the medication? So then what's the point of going if they can't afford medication? So um, health is crucially important. So when you look at COVID-19 and the impact on a place like Indonesia, it's huge, absolutely huge, because um, they're already stretched with uh, medical resources. So when you put in um, things like respiratory conditions, lack of, lack of money, lack of finance, lack of ventilators, the results can be absolutely catastrophic. So for Compassion at the moment, we've uh, stopped all of our face-to-face uh, -face meetings. They're not happening in our projects. But the caseworkers and the mentors for the children are reaching out to those children, whoever they can, through um, uh, online contact and making sure that they've got food, making sure they've got good sanitation, making sure that there's uh, hand sanitizer, masks, and food where, where that's needed. So at the moment, we have um, a, the last information I had, we've got one recorded case of a child caregiver with COVID-19 um, and so support and quarantines happening there and uh, another presumed case among a staff worker as well that that was of, as of about 10 days ago so um, it is spreading if you've been watching the news there were some cases in Jakarta just two weeks ago with um, people actually dying on the street and um, then what do you do do you help them or do you risk getting infected so we're already seeing the impact of that in a country like Indonesia which can be catastrophic. So I want to break the script a little bit if you let, and you can, you can claim the fifth on this one. But I want to ask, uh, we're a new church and we're investigating mission, we're creating this framework as we go, but you've been through this process. Why did you pick compassion? Really good question. And it's one that I thought a lot about because I've been involved and engaged in mission over a long period. And for the church I was pastoring, we, we wanted to 
look at how our church could be engaged and part of mission, not just give money to it. And look, giving money to mission is a good thing to do. It can, it can provide resources. It can, it can show, you know, provide um, the spread of the gospel and all of those things. But I wanted more than that. I wanted, I wanted my people to be part of mission. And Compassion provides that, where as a person, you can be writing to a child. You get invested in their family. You can go and visit them. And I think that was probably a, a key impact for me personally. The first uh, visit I did, it messed me up. And I, that's a phrase I often use to say, go to the field, go and visit your sponsor child and get messed up. Because in the West, we need that. We need to see how other people are living um, and get out of some of the first world problems that we have and to see what's happening and be inspired. But we have a kids club at Arana now because people went and visited children and saw what a local church were doing and came back and said, we could do something like that. And I said, are you saying we as in me or is he saying we as in you, and, and they started themselves still going today as a result. So I just love that about compassion because it's, it's connection. I know for you guys, there's an interest in a, a Bible college in Salatiga, the Church of Christ Bible College. Well, there's the option to do a, a part compassion trip, part Church of Christ, link those things together so that you can get a, a broader picture of what's happening in that area. Yeah, we're trying to get creative and find ways where we can think of new options and new ways to do that. And so that leads into the fourth musketeer, conversation. Mm. Uh, we've been working really hard at integrating Fourth Musketeer, the extreme character challenge, the fundraising associated with that and connecting that in. How's that going to work for us? Fourth Musketeer is great and uh, it's, it's one where we are a partner with them, which are their own support, the only support partner. So we love what, what they do both here in Australia and wider. So with the Fourth Musketeer, if you're keen on, on, on fitness and you're keen on doing a muscathlon, so they, they happen in various countries around the world, and to fundraise for that, you can either raise, look at raising $10,000 or you can get 10 children sponsored. But with a partnership, what's great about that is those 10 children, rather than be from the country where you're going to do your, the area where you're going to do your running or your, your cycling or walking, they can be from your partnership. And that means that the people that you're going to try and get to sponsor, which I'm assuming would be your friends, your work colleagues, maybe family, people in your neighbourhood, um, they can't go with you for the muscathlon, but when you do a church trip, they could come with you, and that gives a great opportunity for, as a, as a local church, to involve people from a local workplace, from a neighbourhood, and say, come with us on a trip, come and see what's happening, and, and do community together. Here, here, and rub shoulders with other Christians. It's a great opportunity. And so how often do you think we could visit as a church, uh, realistically? We, we usually say up to, every two years is brilliant, is ideal. Um, some churches would say, can't we go every year? And we just say, actually, the impact on the local church over there, for them to get ready and to host you and all of that is quite huge. And we want to make sure they can focus on the children, focus on reaching the families. So every two years is great. It's, um, it's far enough apart to give them space, but it's near enough to be able to build relationships. So every couple of years is ideal. Fantastic. All right, you may have more questions and uh, what we thought we might do is after the church service ends, we're going to have a Zoom meeting with Simon, myself and a few other people and we're going to just be there to answer whatever other questions you may have about compassion and some other mission work that we'll be doing. So um, the link will be in the uh, comments, so join us then um, and we'll get on to that in about five or ten minutes. So we're going to link in now to a video that explains a little bit more about what we're doing and, and why with Compassion. And what would be great is if uh, you're one of those people, and I know there's a few out there who've been holding off sponsoring a child till they watched our service today, 
Uh, you'll see a link there that you can link to to sign on through the video or um, during the rest of the service or even after. So let's watch that together now. I thank God for you. In quiet moments and when life gets loud, I feel connected to you. I see your smiles in my son's face as he reads your letters. I pray for you, dear mother of a different dear son. Sometimes I imagine what life is like for you. I try to see myself in your situation. Life is so busy, every day is full, but I look forward to meeting you. I want to see our boys play together. This life is so fragile and precious. I work and work, but can't give everything my family needs. But I know the one who can. I pray you will live in him and that he will fill your heart with courage and grace. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to see you. Your family, your life is blessing to mine. I want to thank you for thinking and praying for my family from across oceans. I pray the same prayer for your son and mine. May their hearts love God and always give their best. Created in His image, children of the living God, filled with His love for us. Be of great courage, sister. Live in hope. He is with us. He is with us. I just can't lose this phrase that's in my head, which I, for me is something like a, a JFK-sized dream that we're, we're going to send someone to the moon and have them return safely by the end of the decade. For me, it's this whole idea that everyone in our church has a viable and personal opportunity to be involved in mission. It's big. And I don't want that to ever come across as an imposition, but what I'm hoping is that we can fill hearts to the point where we can't help but go out on mission. And we just want to create opportunities that, that are for you that not only fit, because I think we need to be stretched a little bit too, but present a suitable challenge for us to be about what Jesus really did mandate for us to be doing. And so we're going to find all sorts of ways. And what I hope we can do is become creative about that, that we can begin to use just those, our mental juices a little bit to come up with new ways and new ideas. How could I get involved in mission in my ministry? How could my kids' ministry or the worship ministry or my small group, how could we turn this into being a missional experience? 
And so I'm relying heavily on God speaking to you. I believe he's speaking to me about that, but I'm just one person in this church and I just want to present that challenge to you. So now we're going to just enjoy a bit of reflective worship and I just really pray that God would prompt you and, and, and as we've said, we're going to lead into an opportunity to even sponsor a child today. Trish and I will be doing that and uh, I hope you too will begin to join us as we begin to make a real impact in Salatiga. So let's join in worship together and uh, listen to what God is saying.